As we continue worship this morning, uh, I ask uh, you to turn in your Bible or uh, to uh, James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, where we will continue to study through this book and uh, let us hear what God has to say to us from this passage this morning. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James writes these words. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We especially thank you for the word of God himself, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you sent your son to come not only to die on the cross for our sins, but Lord, you sent your son to come to reveal your words to us. And Lord, it is in this book that we have your words through Christ revealed to us. Father, we pray that as we look to your word this morning, May your spirit give us understanding. May your spirit help us to understand what it says and also understand its implications, its applications for our life. Lord, we know that even as we study the subject of wisdom today, Lord, even as we learn and have greater knowledge of wisdom, Father, we pray that you would help us to actually have wisdom, to apply wisdom apply knowledge to our lives. Lord, we know that wisdom comes only from you. And so, Lord, we ask of it this morning. We thank you and praise you that you are a God who gives wisdom generously without reproach to all who ask of you. And, Father, we thank you for this word now. We pray that your spirit would magnify your name through the preaching of your word. And more importantly, through our living out of your word in our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were given the opportunity to ask God for anything, anything that he could give, if you were to ask God for that thing right now, what would it be? What would you ask? I don't want the Sunday school answer. I want what you would think right now. I think we should be honest. We kind of know we live in a fallen world. We, we know that there are, we all face various circumstances. Uh, some of us may be at places in our life where we are short on funds, on resources, and perhaps we would 
appreciate if God could provide a little bit more riches. Some of us maybe are in a place in our lives where we feel weak. We maybe we're oppressed and we feel like we're, we're kind of taken advantage by the people around us. And we would appreciate if God could somehow give us a little more uh, power, maybe a little more courage, a little more, you know, something just the, at least the words to be able to say whenever people say things that hurt us. Some of us perhaps are in a place where we are poor in health. Maybe this week you got a report of an illness that you're facing and maybe even a life-threatening illness. Perhaps we would ask for health. All these things to ask for are not necessarily bad things, uh, uh, riches or health or, or even power. But I think you know, especially if you're a Christian, you've heard, you've heard the stories that King Solomon, when he had the opportunity to ask, to ask of God this question, or when God asked him this question, and he could ask God anything, as recorded for us in 1 Kings 3 and 2 Chronicles chapter 1. There in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what I should give you. In verse 10, Solomon asked this, Give me now wisdom and knowledge, that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of yours? Solomon, of all the things that he could ask for, asked for wisdom. He asked God for wisdom so that he would be able to rule over the people of God, the nation of Israel, that God had entrusted to him. And God gave him wisdom. God gave him wisdom uh, beyond all the wisdom that any man had had. Solomon became known as the wisest of all the kings of all mankind. God also gave him, of course, riches and wealth and honor as well. Solomon was known for his wisdom that, in fact, he wrote a whole book on wisdom, which we read in our, uh, in our pastoral prayer, an opening prayer this morning. And in that, one of, and then particularly that book, in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 11, Solomon wrote these words about wisdom. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare to her. Of all the things that we could want for in this life, all the things that you would desire, you and I would desire, can we say with Solomon that of them all, wisdom is is much better. Wisdom is better. And if wisdom is better, then that's what we would ask of God. We'd ask God for wisdom before we ask for power, for health, or riches. Because we believe as Solomon says here that wisdom is better and all the desirable things cannot compare to her. Of course, you and I are not responsible for the ruling of a kingdom, but yet every day we face decisions in life, circumstances, great and small, where we need wisdom. You may not know you need wisdom, but you do need wisdom to guide you in your thoughts as well as your responses and choices that you make. All of us, especially if we have been sitting under the teaching of God's word here at this church for the, over the years, understand a lot of God's principles. We have a lot of, you know, head knowledge, if you will, in this brain of ours. And it's, but what we often lack on a day-to-day basis is wisdom. 
We lack wisdom to understand how we take all this knowledge that we gain, that we hear week in, week out, and how do we actually apply it in the various circumstances that we face, whether at work, at home, or school, or just in our community. Wisdom is the skill, is that skill which God gives so that we may apply his knowledge to life, to all the circumstances of life. As Christians, we understand that wisdom comes from God. James wrote earlier in chapter 1, verse 5, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. We studied that a while ago. God delights to give us wisdom, but we must ask. And so hopefully, even as we're learning more about wisdom today, we're going to get more knowledge about wisdom. And I can, as I teach, I'm passing on that knowledge of wisdom but it's not really what we want. We want the wisdom to apply this knowledge to our lives. And that, hopefully, as we hear God's word, we're going to be prayerfully asking for God for wisdom. Lord, grant me wisdom to apply what I hear here in this morning from your word in my life. And so, as we look at wisdom, we ask ourselves the question, what does wisdom look like? Wisdom is something in here, just like knowledge is something in here, but what does it look like in our life? And how do we know when we have it? You know, if we ask God for wisdom, he says he's going to give it to us. What will it look like? How will we know that we have it? James answers this question for us in our text this morning. He teaches us about the wisdom that comes from God above. He teaches us what it is not, and he teaches us what it is. And in the process of doing so, he also teaches us about a counterfeit wisdom, an earthly wisdom that we must guard ourselves against. In the context of the letter of James, James has been adding, is now adding another mark of genuine faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. His theme in the book has been faith that works. And he's writing now in chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, that the faith that works is a faith that shows wisdom from above. That as among the various works that show that we have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, one of those works, or a kind of those works, is that we will demonstrate, we will show in our lives wisdom from above. In the first half of chapter 3, we just looked at last week, James has called believers in Christ to guard our tongue. A tongue is a very dangerous thing. It's a powerful thing. It can set a forest afire. And so recognizing the danger and power of the tongue, we must guard our tongues. But how do we go about guarding our tongues? requires wisdom. In fact, some commentators have said that this passage is really the key idea of the whole book. I, 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 you know, I've argued that it's faith that works, but it's, you can make an argument even that this book is about wisdom. That's about how we need wisdom throughout life. It's wisdom in the midst of trials, wisdom that we need wisdom in the midst of fighting temptation. We need wisdom when it comes to uh, being tempted to, when we're in a social setting and being tempted to show partiality. We need wisdom when we are to give uh, to not just be, uh, to not just have, you know, think compassionately, but to actually show compassion. How do we show compassion to the world? We need wisdom so that we don't just be hearers of the word, but that we actually know how to be doers of the word. And then we need faith. We need wisdom so that we know of all the things that come out of our mouth, when to guard it, and when to let it speak. All these things need wisdom. But as we look at this passage this morning then, we, James teaches us three things to know 
as we seek to show wisdom from above in our lives. Well, all of us understand we need wisdom, hopefully, and we lack wisdom. We, we like more wisdom. We ask God for wisdom. But what will it look like when God gives us this wisdom? How will it manifest in our lives? And James gives us three things to know as we seek to show wisdom from above. Number one, first of all, wisdom from above is shown in your behavior. We need to understand that wisdom is not something just to be, in, to be just here, but it's meant to be lived out, demonstrated in our behavior, in our conduct. James begins with a challenge. Who among you, he says in verse 13, is wise and understanding? This is a rhetorical question. Uh, in the sense that who is wise and understanding? Uh, that is, as believers in Jesus Christ, you ought to be people who are wise and understanding. The two words, wise and understanding, appear together only here in the New Testament, but they appear several times in the Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament particularly. In Deuteronomy 1, 13 and 15, these words describe the qualities that Israel's leaders were to have. They were to, be, they were to choose leaders of their tribes who were to be men of wisdom and understanding. But what's more, it wasn't just, these aren't just qualities to describe the leaders of the people of God, but in Deuteronomy 4, 6, these same two words are used to describe of God's expectation of all his people, his whole nation of Israel, that these were the nation of Israel was to be, were to be a people who are wise and understanding, to be a people of wisdom. And certainly we know today that God expects us to be a people of wisdom. Not only does he teach it all throughout his book, but even in James 1.5, we are to ask God for wisdom. James's question really challenged us to examine ourselves. We know we ought to be people who are wise and understanding. Are we people who are wise and understanding? Are you a person who's characterized by wisdom and understanding or the opposite? Are you characterized by foolishness and ignorance? As Christians who are told that God gives wisdom to all generously and without reproach, we are without excuse if we are not in our lives increasing in wisdom. That as we look at the description of wisdom in this passage, we should see them manifest in our lives. And if we don't, then perhaps it is an indication that we don't have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. James' challenge then leads us to a command. He says in the latter half of verse 13, who among you is wise understanding? That is, we all ought to be wise understanding. Well, let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. James gives the command here. It's not just let him show, but one, let this person, he should show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. The command here is to show, to demonstrate. The word it comes is the same word that recalls back to, to chapter 2, verse 18, when James emphasized that we can only show our faith by our works. No one can just see, you can say you have faith, but that doesn't mean anything until you actually demonstrate it, show it, prove it by your works. Both faith and wisdom are invisible, internal, uh, internal attributes. Of themselves, they are invisible. They are unseen by the human eye. But they are shown, they are proven, they are demonstrated through our actions, through our behavior, our conduct. Specifically, wisdom is shown by one's good behavior, by one's good conduct. It's the entire manner of our lives. 
is the entire pattern and a description of our life is it characterized by goodness, by good conduct, honoring to God? Does it refl- and thus reflect wisdom from above? Just as works and faith cannot be separated, neither can good behavior and wisdom. Wisdom must be shown in good behavior. James further describes not just the source of wisdom or how wisdom is shown, but he talks about the manner in which it is shown. It is shown in gentleness, he says, in the gentleness of wisdom. The NIV translates gentleness as the word humility. ESV translates it as the word meekness, that's a good word. It's a kind of an old word we don't use too often, but that's, that's a pretty good uh, word uh, that, that, that this can also mean. Gentleness, humility, meekness. Uh, was you, this word was used earlier in chapter 1, verse 21, where James says, in humility, that's our same word, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. That is, we're to have this attitude of meekness, humility, gentleness when we receive God's word. It's not like, you know, hey, Prove it to me, but teach me, Lord. Receive it gently as a beggar who had no right to these words, but we graciously receive it. The word gentleness in our modern-day society often implies kind of, kind of a, a picture of weakness, right? A gentle soul. That means he's soft. It's not wrong to be gentle, but it kind of, you know, you, you don't say, you know, when we talk about our football players, we don't say, oh, he was a real gentle guy. He's a real gentle player. We would say, what? No, I want a, you know, hard-hitting player. That does, but gentleness in the Bible is a good word. It's a good attribute. The word gentleness is a word that describes Jesus himself. Jesus not only claimed himself to be this gentle, he actually used the word meek in Matthew eleven twenty nine. But he also blessed those who were meek and gentle in Matthew 5.5. 5. A definition of meekness is sometimes described as power under control. Jesus, of course, as you know, had, is the son of God and has, has all sorts of power at his d- disposal. But uh, though there were people who opposed him, though the people wanted to, uh, uh, wanted to crucify him, he did not just use his power and just you know, judge them all. He could have, but he in meekness, controlled his power. Another definition of meekness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. It's idea of like, you know, Jesus didn't say, do you know who I am? I am the son of God. Therefore, you should treat me this way. Okay, that sounds, man. Uh, hopefully we don't you say that, but we've said stuff like that. When we get angry, you know who I am? Oh, is that just me? Okay, that's just me. Don't you know who I am? I'm big. Okay, you know, that's back in the days. You know, you, you kind of think that because of who I am, it deserves a special treatment people should show me because of who I am. That's the self-importance. This, that's opposite. But instead, gentleness and wisdom says, we don't feel this self-importance. This gentleness is especially to be shown when we are in situations of conflict. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, with gentleness, that's our word, correcting those who are in opposition. Sometimes we may uh, need to correct someone that is in sin. We need to do so with gentleness, uh, with meekness, humility. Titus 3.2 says, to malign no one to be, and to be peaceable, gentle. And that's our word, showing every consideration for all men. 
We are to show wisdom by our good behavior with an attitude of gentleness in wisdom. It is said that a wise man does not need to boast, and certainly he doesn't. Instead, a wise man will show it by his actions, by her actions. You know, people, if I ask people around you, do those around you see wisdom and humility in your behavior? Does it manifest so that people see? And does it especially show when you're in the middle of conflicts? You know, does someone come and say, hey, you know, I really appreciate, I saw you in that conflict, and I really appreciate how you handled that. You did it with wisdom, with gentleness, humility, that reflects Christ. So if wisdom is going to be shown in our behavior, it's going to be demonstrated by how, particularly uh, how we conduct our lives and our good behavior, particularly with the attitude of gentleness. The natural question then is what will this all look like on a day-to-day basis? We've already, this humility is a clue. But before James gives us a, a, full, a fuller description of wisdom in the verses that follow, he first teaches us, us what heavenly wisdom is not. And that's our second point. What wisdom from above is not. To be technically, uh, this is actually what wisdom from below is. It's the opposite of wisdom from above, but it's wisdom from below. And what wisdom from below is like, and therefore, which teaches us what wisdom from above is not. In Jewish wisdom literature like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, there are always this, life is described in, in basically black and white. It's either two ways of life. You're either on the way of the righteous or you're on the way of the wicked. There's no in-between. You're in the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. In similar fashion, James contrasts here about wisdom from above or heavenly wisdom and wisdom from below or earthly wisdom. There's no in-between. You either have heavenly wisdom or you operate by earthly wisdom. Your wisdom is from above or it's not wisdom from below. It's not like, oh, this wisdom is like kind of like a little bit of both. It's either one or the other. It's not, there's no kind of either uh, analog. It's digital. James describes this so-called wisdom then uh, in the verses that, fall, that follow. Actually, I like the NIV's uh, translation where it puts a quote under the, around the word wisdom here uh, 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 in this passage. It emphasizes that this is the kind of wisdom that, in verse 15, this is a counterfeit wisdom. Anyways, in verse 14, we see what wisdom from above is not and what wisdom from below is. We look at its root, that its root This earthly wisdom, it's selfishness. It's sinfulness, but selfishness. He says, verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. James, this is meant to be a contrast with just the humility, the gentleness that's supposed to be manifest in our behavior. But instead, the opposite is if you instead don't have humility, but have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. The heart, we know, is the, the root and source of our sinful acts and words and thoughts. And James is drawing attention to these two attitudes of the heart, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And it is these attitudes of the heart, not gentleness, but bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that reflect in behavior that is characterized, that it comes from earthly wisdom. Jealousy is this word for zeal, and it can be used for a good, it can use in a good sense, uh, just as God is jealous in a good way. But here it carries a negative connotation, especially with the word bitter in front of it. It is a selfish desire to possess things that are not really ours. 
And when you're jealous or you're envious or you want something that, that somebody else has that's not doesn't belong to you, and then you find out that you can't get it, you can't possess it, what always inevitably happens is it makes us bitter. We start saying, oh, you know, like when I see somebody drives, you know, okay. When I see someone drive some nice cars, oh, I want that car. I want that car. Oh, that that probably that guy's, that's probably a drug dealer. You know, that's what, you know, it's like you try to malign the other person because they have a nice car. That's that's bitter jealousy. That's bitter jealousy. The second attitude that we find here that is the root of wisdom that behavior that's from the wisdom from above is is a selfish ambition. This selfish ambition is is this idea of self seeking uh, that comes from a, a bit from rivalry. It was used, this actually, it was used uh, in Greek literature, the partisan zeal of greedy politicians. You know, when politicians, you know, even in our days, uh, not all politicians are evil, but we kind of have this perception of politicians, you know, that they are going to say something whenever they say something, whenever they do something. It's always with an angle to advance their cause, uh, to advance their career. Uh, that's how we perceive it. And, and that's, but that's, and that was not just today, but it's, even back then, it's this selfish ambition that exists. It's not just true of politicians, though it's true of all of us at times. Such hard attitudes are contrary, though, to the good behavior and gentleness that mark wisdom from above. And what we find is that when people possess these, these attitudes, these hard attitudes of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, instead of being ashamed of them, in our world we tend to boast about them. We say, what? We boast about them? Now, we might not say, well, I've got bitter jealousy. <laughs> well, I have selfish ambition. But we boast about these same attitudes in different phrases that we use. We use it a lot of times in our workplace, uh, in our schools, uh, in sports, and things that we do. We take pride. Or we, we'll, we end up, mankind takes pride and puts confidence in these earthly wisdom, these earthly, these earthly attitudes, these uh, selfish attitudes. You know, for instance, just bitter jealousy, it's often reflected in the uh, phrases such as we might say to ourselves, hey, if you see something, go get it, right? And that, that's, that sounds good, doesn't it? You want something, go get it. I mean, this is my, uh, if I was going to tell, you know, maybe you heard that message, uh, some of you graduated from college this year. Congratulations. Your principal seeker say, tells you, if you see what you want, go get it. It is yours. That's good, but it reflects this idea of selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. And if you don't, if it's, if you can't get it, you don't, you gotta take what you want. That company over there, they're number one right now. We're number two. And so as a, you know, if I'm gonna, what we need to do is we need to just go take what's ours. We need to go take their clients. We need to advance our cause. We need to advance ourselves. You gotta look out for Number one. No, number one, right? Number one. These are the attitudes. These are the sayings. And a lot of times we kind of say them, and we can say them sometimes in a neutral way, but a lot of times they reflect these attitudes, these earthly attitudes of bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. They are root attitudes. And sadly, sometimes Christians, we get caught up, and we think that they're heavenly wisdom. And by having such attitudes, by having these attitudes, and their consequent actions, uh, that is, that uh, we, end up, we end up basically lying against the truth. 
as Christians, we are professing follow, being to be followers of Christ, and so therefore we should be characterized by human gentleness, wis, er, heavenly wisdom. But when we follow earthly wisdom, we're lying against the truth. We're, de, we're denying, basically, faith in Christ in, in a practice. So James moves on in the next verse, then speak not only of its roots, but it's also its, its resource. I know it should be, uh, I think a better word here is source, but I want an R word. So uh, resource. That its resource of all this, these, uh, the, the attitude, the behavior that reflects uh, earthly wisdom, it comes from wisdom from below. This wisdom, verse 15, is not which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. A so-called wisdom that boasts in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is that which comes down, not from above, but comes from below, from that which is earthly, natural, demonic. James describes it in a threefold resource. And these three resources are, or sources kind of get progressively worse as we go along the list. First of all, he says that this kind of wisdom is earthly instead of heavenly. It's of the domain of earth. That is, it's the domain of all that is where humanity dominates. Philippians 3.19 says, where Paul writes, that, that the enemies of the cross of Christ are those who set their minds on earthly things. That is the things of this world. Such wisdom is essentially wisdom that excludes God from their worldview. We might call this a secular worldview. Earthly wisdom is a secular worldview. We know people out there that do a lot of, you know, outwardly good things and are otherwise kind of good people. But they live life in a, in a secular, earthly wisdom where they do not believe in God. They do not need God. They're, I would say they're good without God. Secondly, counterfeit wisdom is natural or unspiritual instead of spiritual. Paul uses this term natural, and some of your translations have unspiritual, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, but they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. We see Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 talks about how the man who is natural, that is unspiritual, he doesn't have the Spirit of God, he's not a believer in Christ, he can't even grasp, he can't even see that he's a bad person. He can't even see that he's a sinner. He can't even, he won't believe it. He doesn't understand even the need for the gospel. When he hears the gospel, it just sounds like, oh, it's foolish. What do you believe that for? That's the natural man, that's according to Paul. A natural man is basically an unspiritual man. He doesn't have the spirit of God. The only reason that you and I even come to believe in Christ is because God regenerated us and granted us faith to believe. He gave us the spirit of God. That we might understand these truths. Otherwise, we would be just like the other unspiritual mankind. Such wisdom is really a sinful worldview that justifies one's selfishness because it is unable to accept the things of God. Then lastly, this wisdom is demonic instead of godly. It is wisdom that takes after the demons. And who used, uh, who had, and they were angels before, and they were full of wisdom, but they used their wisdom to advance their own kingdom, themselves. They pursued things that are contrary to God's kingdom. That's demonic wisdom. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition 
come from secular, sinful, and satanic wisdom. It's wisdom that's really not from above. They're all counterfeit. They're all offered by our world, by, our, our man, by mankind, by our sin, by, from our flesh, and from the devil himself. And this false wisdom ultimately does not produce good behavior and gentleness. That true wisdom does. Instead, verse 16, we learn that this kind of wisdom, this wisdom from below, produces, we see its result, it produces division. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Disorder was used earlier by James in 1.8 and 3.8 to describe the, the double-minded person, uh, one who is double-tongued double-speaking kind of person. It's, it's this picture of an unstable person. They sway back and forth in their mind, in the things they say. One moment they are do, thinking this, and the next moment they're thinking this. One moment they're saying, in one circumstance they're saying this, another circumstance they're saying this. They are double-minded. They are, un, this idea of disorder conveys unstableness, restlessness, unruliness. Paul uses this word, in fact, in um, in 1 Corinthians 14.33, when he addresses the Corinthians, and the Corinthians, they were, they basically were abusing spiritual gifts. They were all clamoring for the, the what they believe, the greater gift of speaking in tongues. And because there was this, this clamor for this gift and boasting about the gift, it ultimately led to division in the church. And Paul addressed the division that was in the church in Corinth as well. When, when he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 14.33, he wrote these words, God is not a God of disorder, that's our word, but of peace. And so we learn that disorder, opposite of disorder, is peace. The disorder, disharmony, division in the church ought not to characterize the people of God. Instead, it ought to be characterized by peace. Earthly wisdom creates disharmony, division, disorder, but heavenly wisdom creates peace in the church of God. And I take this word, this, this thought very uh, personally as a leader of Christ's church. All the, oftentimes we, we hear of churches that divide. And you've probably been in churches that divide. I tell you that churches never divide over uh, someone's sin in the pew, in the average member of the church. It will often begin with sin in our leadership. And it's sin, and it's particularly when a sin that is not just sin of a, an action, but it may be sins of, of earthly wisdom, of man, a leader or a couple leaders or all leaders starting to be con- controlled or following after earthly wisdom instead of heavenly wisdom, depending upon our own thoughts instead of God's thoughts. And oftentimes that leads to division in church because <clears throat> there will always be those when leaders speak about ch- when they start adding error, there are going to be people in the church who stand for the truth. And there will be those, a division of error and truth that naturally happens. We as leaders in the, uh, need to guard against dis- having earthly wisdom because it leads to division. And not only division, but then leads to every evil thing or practice. James's message is pretty simple so far. It's that there is no place in the church for pride, envy, or selfish ambition. Anyone who claims to be wise, and that should be all Christians, we have the wisdom of God, 
down to us, demonstrates is to demonstrate these attitudes in unwittingly in following a wisdom from above. Such wisdom or heavenly wisdom will result in peace, in gentleness. But earthly wisdom will do off the opposite. It will result in division, disorder, evil things. It will be characterized by selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. What characterizes not only you individually, but we might even ask ourselves, what characterizes the church as a whole? James then moves on and gets to the end of his message here. He, he concludes with describing for us what wisdom from above is. We've seen what wisdom from below is, what wisdom from above is not. Now we learn what wisdom from above is, what it looks like when we have wisdom from God. Verse 17, we read this. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. This list provides for us, if you will, a field guide. Kind of a field guide as we go out, you know, you look at, oh, what kind of, what do we have here? What kind of bird is that? You know, oh, that's nice. You know, that's the kind of bird, or that kind of flower. It's a field guide. But we might take it out in the church and we look, hmm, here's our field guide. This is our list. What is all that's earthly wisdom? All that's heavenly wisdom, you know? That's the kind of picture. This is our guide to tell us to examine, as we examine ourselves, examine the church as a whole, do we reflect earthly wisdom? Or do we reflect heavenly wisdom? If you find your life characterized by these traits, then you have heavenly wisdom. Do not boast that, oh, I, am, I was able to be pure by myself. No, that's not even the case. It's the fact that when God gives us heavenly wisdom, it will manifest in all these attributes. So, first of all, look at this list then. Wisdom from above is first, number one, pure. It's first pure. It means that which is holy or free from defilement of sin. And it just doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we're perfect though. There's no one who's perfect. Only Christ is perfect. There's no, we're not absent without sin. But it, this is a, that is to be pure is to be characterized as a, in our life in general as being free from sins. Such a person is not only going to be in the general absent from having sin, um, go unconfessed and undealt with in life. But such a person is going to shrink from sins because there's a purity. Because, you know, if you, when you wash your hands, isn't, do the next thing that you want to do is just to stick it in some dirt or touch something, you know, unless you're, you know, your kid, kid just went, you know, poo and you got to go change the diaper. You, you got to do that. But you don't want to. So oh, I just wash my hands. All right. There's a sensitivity that your hands are clean. You don't want to touch things that are dirty. All right. That should be the same way with purity. If we are pure, if we're walking in holiness, it should give us a sensitivity to sin. So we don't want to dabble in it because why? It's dirty. By the grace of God, I'm I'm walking in holiness. Why would I want to walk in uncleanness, defilement? We shrink away. That's this idea. 1 John 3.3 actually uses this term pure to describe no less than Christ himself. Christ himself is pure. And he is the pattern. He's our example for us to follow. And this, this attribute, pure, is listed first. Wisdom, when we have wisdom from above, it will manifest in a pure life. In things that we do, it will reflect purity and holiness. And the authenticity, the intensity of your purity will then affect the outworking of all these other qualities of wisdom. When we look at the next three words that are in this list of verse 17, we find a second characteristic of 
wisdom from above. And that wisdom from above is peace-loving, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, are all described one who loves peace, who pursues, desires, fosters peace. You know, some of us are okay with just stepping on people's toes left and right and say, well, that's that's tough. Leaving things unresolved. (laughs) But not the peaceable person. The peaceable person, when he comes to worship, he knows this is something someone has against him. He's going to leave his offering and he's going to go find that person and try to make right to be at peace. It's going to be a person who, uh, is as much as it is possible with you, to be at peace with all men. This is peaceable. The adjective gentle here is kind of further describes this peace-loving attitude of wisdom from above. It conveys the thought of a... It's not the same as what we found in verse 13, but it's this thought of consideration for others that does not insist on one's right. Even though you may be wronged and even though you might have a right to respond or to demand justice, demand a recourse for, for, being, for uh, being made right, a gentle person can choose and often will choose to just forego it and let it go. It's no big deal. Let it go. That's gentleness, a willingness to yield, or, or a willingness to let go. Reasonable here is used only this one time in the New Testament, but it was used in other Greek writings, of the sense of being a willingness uh, to, to yield to others. Being, the ESC translates as being open to reason. You know, sometimes some of us, when you feel like you're right, at that point you kind of just like, no, right? Any of us is like that? I will not listen to you at all, you know? That's kind of sometimes how we can be. And I, and I understand that, especially when it comes to the truth of God's word, when it comes to clear statements in God's word. Uh, there is kind of no, you know, but that's that, this reason was this idea of always being open to reason, to listen. Easily, King James has easy to be entreated. That is, to listen to someone when they ask you, want to talk with you about, to dialogue with you about it. See, living in a world of people and interacting with people daily in our homes, in our work, in our school, at church, means that we will oftentimes face conflict. We'll have disagreements. And that's just kind of normal living in this, uh, this world. And it's just because we're all different. We all come from different backgrounds. We have different worldviews coming in. We have different personalities, different ways of saying things. Well, we're just different. And so that conflicts do happen. And when it comes to conflicts, we also have different tendencies about conflict, right? Some of us just love to rush headlong into every conflict. We're just like, yes, let me at it. There's a conflict and something to conquer, you know? In fact, I'm going to come together and let's, we're not going to leave this room until we resolve this issue. Okay? And then there's some of us, and I'm more like this, when there's conflict, oh, duck. <laughs> Run the other way, you know? Just want to go. That's our tendencies. But the one who is peace-loving ought not to do either of these. These are two extremes. The peace-loving person is going to be like Jesus, who pursues peace as much as it is possible. Jesus Christ did everything that is, that is in his power to make peace possible with him and us. He laid his life down to do so, right? But yet he does not force each and every one of us to believe. I'm going to compel you to believe. But he says whoever believes, he leaves it as a decision that you must respond to. 
That is, we ought to be a people who are peace-loving. We ought to seeking, seek to lovingly resolve conflicts when impasses, and, and when impasses arise in, in a fallen world, they do, right? In a perfect world, we would be able to resolve it. You know, without sin, we'd say, oh, I love you, brother. Yeah, I love you. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, you know, oh, we came to see, come perfect, understand that God's word, we're cool. it's cool. But a lot of times, there would come at impasses. Will you be gentle at those moments and not insist on your right? Will you be reasonable and be willing to yield or open to reason to listening to the other? Let us be people who are peace-loving. Thirdly, wisdom from above is reflected in being compassionate. This word full, it describes both mercy and good fruits. One compassionate person, a wisdom from above is reflected in compassion that is full of mercy and full of good fruits. James already wrote earlier of how faith demonstrates itself in mercy. Mercy uh, triumphs over judgment. Mercy is, however, more than just a feeling of pity, isn't it? It's more than just, oh, oh, I feel sorry for those people. But it's an attitude of compassion toward others, indeed, that will then manifest and produce actual results, good works, that will then strive to help those in need. One cannot be full of mercy and not full of good fruits. You want to be merciful? You can be merciful and have compassion and pity in the heart, but it will inevitably result in good deeds. I really appreciate our mercy ministry that God has used and really helping us to be more aware of the demonstration of mercy that God has called us to do as a people of God. And I love it. Our mercy ministry doesn't just get together and just say, hey, let's talk about mercy. You know, they don't just do that. They do. They study. They, they study the word of God. But they also, you look at our bulletins, you see the things they did. They will also go out and demonstrate mercy. There are a lot of opportunities that those of us here that can join with them in showing mercy to our community, to people around us. See, one must be, if you're going to be merciful, you're going to be also full of good fruits, good works that demonstrate that mercy. Lastly, wisdom from above is consistent. It's consistent. It acts in a manner consistently in honoring the Lord. The word unwavering describes one who is undoubting, who is pure in his devotion to Christ. He doesn't just take one position and then one time and then kind of waver and, and change to another position the other, another time. He's unwavering. He's pure in his devotion. Such a person is also going to be without hypocrisy. He's not going to uh, act one way and then say another thing. He's going to act and then hear, say something, and then do something different. It's not going to be hip, uh, hypocritical, but sincere. He's consistent. A, cons- a wisdom from above will manifest in consistency in the demonstration of our faith in Jesus Christ. This is what wisdom from above is. And if we look at this, we look at this list, do our lives reflect these things? Does this reflect the behavior of our lives? Do we find purity, peaceableness, Gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, full of good fruits? Are we unwavering? Are we without hypocrisy and sincere? For that reflects wisdom from above. That should be char- this should characterize our lives by the grace of God. And then verse 18, as we arrive at verse 18, 
James then gives us a summary. Sort of a summary of all that he said. He says in verse 18, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Early in the passage, James spoke of earthly wisdom that demonstrates itself in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and that results in disorder and every evil thing. But heavenly wisdom is quite the opposite. It produces peace and righteousness, not disorder and every evil thing. Such righteousness cannot be produced in a climate of bitterness and selfish ambition, but only in a climate of peace. You see, James says here, wisdom from above is shown most when we are motivated by and manifest peace. All those fruits, all the, the list in verse 17 is characterized. It's really, you can summarize it by righteousness. And how does this righteousness then sown? It's sown in a peace. It's motivated by peace, by those who make peace. Peacemakers is the idea. Peace characterizes wisdom from above. As followers of Christ, we should pursue peace with others, especially those in the body of Christ. Jesus exhorted his followers, be at peace with one another, Mark 9.50. Apostle Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to live in peace with one another in 1 Thessalonians 5.13. And then Jesus says, even in Mark, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That believers in Christ, those who are of the kingdom, are going to be called peacemakers. We're going to be peacemakers. Are we peacemakers? That's what, that's, in fact, that's uh, the latter half of verse 18. Those who make peace. Righteousness, wisdom from above, is to characterize those who are peacemakers, those who are believers in Christ. You want to know if your life is guided by wisdom from above? Ask yourself, are you a peacemaker or not? Do I strive to make peace? Do I strive to resolve, uh, lovingly resolve my conflicts? This week I had a great illustration of this. I, I received a letter from a brother in Christ. And, I, you know, I don't often get letters, but I was surprised to receive this letter because in this letter he wrote that he simply wanted to apologize to me for something he had said. You know, I didn't hear what he said. He had said it to someone else, but it was something bad about me. You know, it's just some, you know, something said in malice, and, and I would have never known. You know, the fact is, you know, we probably all speak bad things about me, right? <laughs> I do. Guilty, right? So we all probably do. And like, uh, but I appreciate this brother because he demonstrated that he was a peacemaker. Even though I would have never known probably. But he knew that God knew, and he desired to pursue peace. That's a great example of what we ought to be. Even the sensitivity, and some of you out there just have that sensitivity. We ought to have the sensitivity to pursue peace with others, to make sure we're right with God and men. When we are peacemakers, we reflect wisdom from above. Well, in conclusion, as we come to know these things about wisdom from above, we're still left with how do we gain this wisdom? And how do we gain it? We've already kind of answered that in James 1 5. We ask for it. We ask for it. But yet, how do we receive this wisdom? How, do we, how does God give us this wisdom? Does it just kind of automatically happen? Well, there are several ways that God gives us wisdom according to His Word. First of all, it begins with the fear of God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, or the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs teaches us. So it comes from a fear and reverence of God. That leads to wisdom. God's word is, itself is also a source of wisdom. 
This book is the wisdom of God. But ultimately, how we receive wisdom is that we receive it through Christ. It comes through the relationship of the knowledge of Christ, who himself is the personification of wisdom from above. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, Jesus Christ is called as the power of God and the wisdom of God. In Colossians 2.3, tells us that Christ in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And when we look at this description of wisdom in this passage, particularly verse 17, all those descriptions of wisdom from above, are they not simply descriptions of Christ? Is Christ not pure? Is Christ not peace-loving? Is Christ not compassionate? Is Christ not consistent? And is Christ not righteous? These are all Christ. And the wisdom of God is ultimately manifest in him, in Christ. And so when we come to, when we want to have wisdom from God, we can't be just asking and not believing in Christ. We ask and we believe and trust in Christ. And through walking, knowing Christ more, in Christ will manifest his character in us so that when we display these things, it reveals wisdom from above but you know what? It's ultimately revealing Christ, right? As believers in Jesus Christ in our lives ought to reflect that we possess wisdom from God, wisdom from above, wisdom that we see described here in this passage, wisdom that we know Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're looking for guidance for how to live your life, you want to know how to make the right choices in life, you want to know what to do here, what to do there, what you really need your, feel, your felt need is you feel a need for wisdom. You want wisdom. But wisdom will not come apart from Christ. And Christ came not just to give you wisdom, but Christ came to give you peace. Because Christ came for because of your sins and mine. We were enemies of Christ because of our sin. We didn't even know. You don't even feel bad, perhaps. You might not feel you're a sinner. But the word of God says we are all sinners. We all fall short. We are all under God's wrath. And But Christ came to resolve that. He came to take our sins upon himself, upon the cross, so that whoever, and when he died in place of us, whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the promise to those who come to Christ, who believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. But also when we know Christ, then... You will know wisdom as you ask of God. He will give it to you through his word and through Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for our time. And I pray that as we examine our lives, Lord, I pray that you would be people who reflect wisdom and understanding, that our lives would be characterized by gentleness and wisdom, humility, Lives we characterized by purity, by loving peace, that we characterized by compassion and a consistency in our loyalty to you. Lord, especially when as we find ourselves in the world of conflict and disagreements, that we would always respond in a way that reflects Christ. Wisdom from above. Father, it's hard to know exactly how to respond in every circumstance. We certainly do lack wisdom. And so, Lord, we ask again of you. Even, Father, as we've heard about wisdom, help us to resist the temptation to walk away and not do anything about it.
Lord, may we begin by just asking for wisdom. Lord, grant us wisdom so that we would reflect Christ. And this we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you this week. You're good. Dismissed. Uh, have a wonderful week.